it was really just the feeling of doing that that drove me to keep going. After I had written my first properly structured song, I just loved it and haven't stopped since. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Emily James is on the show. Emily is a Los Angeles-based singer, songwriter, and performer who started writing songs at the age of 10, playing open mics in New York City at the age of 13, and recording songs in Nashville at the age of 17. Emily's most recent EP is Wanted You to Know, featuring the song That'd Be Alright. As well as the song Back in the Summer. At just 22 years old, Emily is one of those artists whose pensive lyrics and soulful voice belie her years. In this interview, we talk about Emily's formative years growing up in New York, what prompted her parents to move with her to Nashville in her teens, and what called her to Los Angeles, where she is currently writing and collaborating as an indie artist. We also talk about her songwriting process, what she has learned about copyright and music licensing, and her plans now that music venues are starting to open up again. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat with the lovely and immensely talented Emily James. Emily James, welcome to Dream Path Podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I've been really looking forward to this. Yay, me too. I've been listening to your music catalog and studying your uh, discography and your history. Awesome. So where are you physically right now? Are you in Los Angeles? I am. Yep. Yeah. Out here in Los Angeles. Happy that we're back to sunny, warm weather as usual. So, <laughs> How long have you been in Los Angeles? Um, it's been almost four years, which is pretty crazy. It's really flown by. But yeah, I've loved my time out here. Um, I was in Nashville before being here and then New York before that. That's where I was born and raised. So let's start with New York mm -hmm. because um, I've only been to New York City one time in 2006, I believe, and I fell in love with the whole vibe of mm -hmm. the city, but I didn't get a chance to really experience it like you did. So you grew up in New York City, right? I did. Yeah. And um, I do feel very fortunate that I grew up right outside of the city. So my family and I were always just going in and out of the city. And it's interesting because it wasn't really until I left that I really understood why people love New York City so much. Um, because, you know, that was just all I had ever known and what I grew up with. And now I definitely have some homesickness for it. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's just yeah, such a vibrant place, and I think growing up around that kind of environment of you know between Broadway and all of the live music of different genres, um, I think that definitely influenced me from an early age. And it sounds like your parents exposed you to that intentionally. Yeah, because you're in the heart of this cultural iconic city, and 
your parents, you know, had a choice whether to take you to Broadway shows and send you to piano lessons. I understand you took lessons starting at age five. Yeah. Tell me about your parents and their approach to raising you. And I, I kind of wish they were here to chime in on this. Oh, me too. But, you know, like <laughs> how important was the direction that they provided to you in terms of where you're at today? So important. Um, I mean, they're definitely my parents and my siblings are just all my best friends. Um, we're just a very close family. And yeah, my my parents just always raised all of us to dream big and work hard and go after those dreams. Um, and any of us who express interest in anything, they were always just full support. Um, like, you know, as long as we were the ones driving it, they never wanted to be the people like pushing us into anything or forcing anything on us. But if we showed that we were really passionate about something and wanted to work hard, they were all in on helping us get there. So. So you start taking piano lessons at age five mm -hmm. and I understand you start writing songs at age 10. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of songs were you writing at age 10? I'm just curious. Yeah. Just kind of a mix of, you know, like little love songs or whatever was going on in my life at the time. Um, like this person being mean or whatever. Um, and I think I just, I just kind of, I'd been listening to a lot of music, obviously throughout growing up, but at that time, it was kind of the first times where I was really listening and studying the songs and the structure of a song and what does it mean to have kind of A, B, A, B, and then there's this other section that doesn't sound anything like everything else. And then you come back to the chorus. So I was kind of messing around with that. And then it was really just the feeling of doing that that drove me to keep going. After I had written my first kind of properly structured song, I just loved it and just haven't stopped since. So That's interesting that you were at such a young age focusing on the structure of a song. Mm -hmm. That's really pretty technical and advanced for a young child because, you know, playing piano is one thing. Playing guitar is one thing, but actually writing a song is a completely separate skill set, in my opinion. Yeah. So what guidance were you getting from your teachers about song structure? If anything, it was mostly like taking piano lessons, you know, knowing that there was a certain kind of melody or thing that I would be playing for one part, and then you'd go into a different section. So maybe kind of that seeping in. And then I was taking classical training, but I kind of convinced my teacher to throw in some pop songs as well. And so I think getting those songs into my fingers and the melodies um, and learning that just kind of found its way to showing me how to do that myself. So I feel like it was a pretty organic process that way. Mm -hmm. And so did you have siblings that were also playing guitar and piano that were inspiring you or giving you ideas on where to go with music? Yeah. I mean, I think I started piano from such a young age because all of my siblings were taking piano lessons and had been taking piano lessons. Um, my sibling that's closest in age to me is about five years older than me. So they were all kind of doing things long before I was, and I always wanted to be doing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely 
looked up, I still look up to them so much and just kind of follow their lead. Um, and my older brother is an amazing musician and he was always, he would just kind of like, you know, be sitting on the couch, like fiddling around on the guitar. And I'm just like, how, how do you do that? So, um, and there's just always music around. So I think we're all drawn to it in our own ways Mm -hmm. in the house. Looking back on New York, what did the city itself provide to you in terms of a formative experience, if anything, Mm. as opposed to just, okay, I have piano lessons with this teacher. I have my siblings that are good musicians. I have a music that I'm listening to, Fleetwood Mac, I understand is one of your inspirations, Adele. But the city itself, I'm really interested in as a source of formation mm. as an artist and inspiration. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, I started when I was a teenager, I would go to kind of open mics or writers rounds in the city. And it was really cool to just kind of be surrounded by people of like so many different types of music and you know, you'd go to these open mics and they were just very, I have some very interesting stories of the performances and, you know, it's just like shows you, you can do anything. And if you're believing in it and you're following it, then people are going to connect with that too. So I think I I just love like the weirdness of New York city. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of just growing up, seeing that all the time that like, there's always going to be someone doing something even more out there than you in in that city just kind of inspires you to just push the limits and try different things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're worried about being weird in Kansas City, you, you, <laughs> you might have a justified concern there, but yeah. you're never going to be weird in New York City compared to other people. No, definitely not. So I think I read that you did your first open mic around age 13. Is that right? Yeah. About that time. Yeah. Did you have stage fright issues at 13 or were you too young to even appreciate <laughs> that is that issue? Yeah, no, I was definitely I was definitely nervous and I still get super nervous whenever I perform. I think sometimes I'll I'll be like, "Oh no, I'm good." Like I don't feel nervous and then right before I go on I'm like, "Wow, I'm really nervous." But I think those formative years of having such a supportive audience and a supportive community just encouraging me and afterwards everyone would just kind of talk to each other and compliment each other and be like oh I loved this part of your set or I loved when you did this and just that kind of encouragement and supportive environment just helped me to keep going and not be afraid of doing more and you know once you get a taste of it it's very infectious and you just want to keep doing it so Mm -hmm. i'm so excited to get back to live shows once it's safe again yeah well it sounds like if you're not in a city that has that type of culture where you can do an open mic Mm -hmm. you're really losing out as a musician on that experience yeah yeah it's it's just nice to find other people who are doing what you're doing and just kind of relate to each other in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us about the move to Nashville. What called you to Nashville? Yeah. Um, I just fell in love with the way that you could just drive down a street and there would just be live music after live music. It was like a movie. You, you would just be driving and it would just be one song and then another song. And just the, the emphasis on songwriting there, I think, 
The other thing with some of the places I would perform in at New York was there were a lot of covers that would be performed, which is amazing. It's so cool to see people, you know, having their own, taking their own interpretation of a song. But I just loved that when you went to Writers Rounds in Nashville, it was just one after another people playing their original music. So I was really drawn to that. And um, I had been making trips there and um, doing some recording and was just so in love with it. And fortunately, my parents were supportive and me being the youngest and the last one in the house, they were like, yeah, we're down for an adventure. Let's just go. So we moved there. And yeah, there were some really formative years of my life as well. I feel like I grew a lot while I spent my time there. And you got a chance to record there, I understand. I did, yeah. With some pretty great producers. Yeah, I know. I feel very lucky. Tell us about the interaction with a producer when you're a young songwriter and performer, and you have this producer that may have uh, worked on a, a Casey Musgraves album, I think was one <laughs> of the producers you worked with. Yeah. Grammy-winning, Grammy-nominated folks, mm-hmm. high-level people, and you're new to the business. How did you interact with and work with producers to write songs and, and record songs? Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of these songs that I had just written in my bedroom and recorded some work tapes of piano vocals or guitar vocals. And I had a vision for how I wanted them to sound, but didn't have the tools accessible to me or really the knowledge of how to make that happen. So um I really appreciate that in those early days when I came in as somebody with no background, that Ian was just so open to hearing my ideas and we would just kind of, you know, go off of each other's ideas and build. And it was a true collaboration. And I always felt safe and respected with voicing my opinion and my vision. And that would be, you know, definitely taken into account and we would move in that direction. So that's definitely just learning from those people that I worked with and their, you know, that kind of respect just gave me the confidence to then move forward and start producing myself. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely attribute a lot of that to um, working with those people. And when we're talking about production, are you talking about the engineering side of things, like just the technical recording, and also does that include help with actually, I guess, fixing problems with songs or making them mm. flow better or maybe more appealable to the masses? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like, I don't know if it's a change in the industry as a whole or just a change from my own location of from Nashville to LA, but I feel like the role of a producer has really evolved and kind of become very blurry um, in a good way. But in the, in that experience, it was like you had the producer who was, I mean, Ian is super talented, multi-instrumentalist. So he played a lot of instruments on the tracks as well. And, you know, they, they kind of are the one sitting there and thinking, and we did kind of, sometimes work through the end of the song of how to adjust this ending so that it was kind of a more satisfying ending or whatever. And, you know, it's just kind of the over 
you know, looking down at everything. And then you have the engineer who's doing all that technical stuff. And then it goes to the mixer. So it was very like kind of formulaic that way. And then Mm -hmm. now when I collaborate with, you know, a producer writer and we're writing a song um, in a session, it's like, we're writing the song. It's, you know, that person maybe working on the track while I'm working on the lyrics. And then we kind of are like, Oh, where are you at? And they're almost like mixing it and producing it and engineering it all at the same time. And it's just Mm. all kind of blurred in together. So it's been really cool to see how that can kind of change um, based on the situation. I interviewed a songwriter performer named Kylie Rothfield. And I actually listened to that podcast. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad you got a chance to listen. And so you probably heard her talking about the difference between how the split of the royalties was looked at in Nashville versus Los Angeles. Right. Did you experience that as well, that it was like a very communal experience in Nashville in terms of songwriting and whoever's in the room basically is in on the business aspect of that song as well? Right. Um, I actually didn't do a lot of co-writing in Nashville. So with those songs, it was mostly just ones that I was doing on my own. And then I really started co-writing once I came out here. Hmm. But, you know, there was so much conversation about co-writing and collaborating in Nashville that I always kind of took that away as well of anyone who's in the room gets an even portion of it just because the song wouldn't be the same if that person weren't there, even if they're not necessarily doing much, just their presence is affecting the way the song is being written. Right. So it makes sense. Yeah. So um, I kind of took that with me. And so now I, I approach that in my collaborations out here as well Mm. of, you know, if we're creating something from scratch, we're getting an even share of it. Right. You took that Nashville vibe with you to Los Angeles and (laughs) impose it on everyone that's in the room with you. That's great. I'm sure they appreciate that. Yeah. So the business aspects of songwriting are fascinating to me because I'm sort of like an outsider looking in. And so I don't know a lot about what happens when you write a song, it gets recorded and it's put out there into streaming, into CDs or albums or whatever. There's copyright, which is the songwriting Mm -hmm. and then the publishing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just starting to figure this out. And I'm an attorney and I don't know anything about the legal aspects of (laughs) of songwriting. Yeah. So are you starting to figure that out yourself? Like how to protect yourself legally and make sure that you're treated fairly in terms of compensation for the art that you put out there? Yeah. I mean, I'm currently 100% independent. So... I own all my publishing and all my masters. And so I know it changes when um, you're with a label or with a publisher, but I think in those situations, it's, it's like you have to kind of know going into it. It's kind of the whole, like you can have a hundred percent of, you know, this smaller amount or 50% of a potentially bigger amount. So you just have to kind of, decide what you're looking to achieve if it's to maintain ownership 100% of something or is it to go into a partnership and maybe relinquish some of that control but in return you may 
kind of be more um, fruitful in your endeavors. So, Mm. and, you know, being independent, you have to kind of, there's, you own everything, but at the same time, like you then have to do everything. So you just have to decide like what kind of path you want to do. What do you want to focus on the most? Because obviously you can't physically do everything and put your hundred percent into everything. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place. Our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. So, the singles that you are putting out, for instance, the cover of uh, The Scientist in 2017, Mm. and also the Ed Sheeran song perfect which you recorded on youtube and it's like off the charts popular i think it's (laughs) half a million views at this point or or more than half a million so how do you approach the business side of that because you're covering someone's song Mm -hmm. you're doing it in your 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 own unique take on it Mm -hmm. and it's super popular what happens when you monetize those songs in terms of your relationship with uh you know the publishing companies for coldplay and coldplay the band itself and ed sheeran yeah So my decision to put those out was really based on, I had been doing a bunch of YouTube covers and saw that people were really liking those certain ones. So then decided to put them on um, the streaming services. So it was kind of more of a decision of like, oh, people are liking this. I'll, you know, make it available on more platforms and in order to do that, you need to get a certain license um, to be able to um, distribute that. And so the songwriters and publishers will collect the royalties based on the actual lyrics and melody of the song. Mm. And then the royalties for the performance would then go to me because I'm it's you have the two different copyrights of the song oh. the, the lyrics and melody and then the actual recording of the song so that is fascinating yeah you sound like you're a lawyer uh, at a seminar <laughs> teaching people about copyright <laughs> That's so- i'm just i i have very minimal knowledge but what i do i would like to share so that's awesome yeah. so have you like when you were recording the scientist or perfect by ed sheeran were you reaching out yourself since you're on your own? You don't have a label at this point. Right. Were you reaching out to get that license yourself or how did you go about that? Yeah. So there are places like uh, Harry Fox Agency where you just kind of will pay a fee to have a license of a certain amount and then you get approved and then you're free to distribute it. Hmm yourself so you have to record it first and then submit it to get approval or i don't know if you have to submit the recording i think it's more just you may have to i can't really remember because it's been so long but i think you just kind of like fill out a form and maybe like pay a fee and then they allow you to do it Um, but you may have to submit the recording i'm not sure but yeah it's a it's a pretty simple process Mm -hmm. so Yeah, I I interviewed a number of folks who moved to LA to be a songwriter or a performer. And I always ask this question because 
I'm, I'm wondering how necessary it is, especially after the pandemic, where people are really discovering the best ways to collaborate with each other online. Mm-hmm. How important is Los Angeles right now for songwriters and performers? I would say at this very moment, it doesn't really matter where you are because of the technology. I've been writing with people across the country in other countries. So I think until things open back up again um, and it's safe to you know have in-person sessions and play shows, you can kind of just work from wherever as long as you have the technology that allows you to do so. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that I was able to kind of continue to collaborate through the pandemic and through quarantine. I mean, I can't wait to get back to in-person sessions because I just miss that kind of energy in the room of mm. being with somebody and just being so excited. And I just love to be hanging out with people in general. So I think that was the hardest thing for me, but I feel very fortunate that if that was the hardest part of this time for me, then I know I'm doing pretty good. So, yeah. So (laughs) what are your plans for live performances now that things are starting a little bit to open up? I'm seeing performers on Instagram doing like outdoor shows at wineries and things like that. What are your plans? Yeah, I'm um, still in the works, but hoping to get out there as soon as possible. So if not, if it doesn't work out for the remainder of 2021, based on, you know, however things open up and work out, um, definitely 2022, um, we'll be doing a lot of that. So can you tell us how you approached your EP wanted you to know? Mm. Um, The reason I asked that is there's a change in the percussion that's used the, I don't know, there's just an evolution, I would call it. Mm. there's a sophistication that I'm hearing and I don't know what to attribute that to. Is it Mm. just your evolving nature as a songwriter that you're just doing something different, trying different things, working with different people? How did you approach the album Yeah, or the EP? Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I would say probably, so half of the songs on there were collaborations and half of them were ones that I wrote and produced myself just in my bedroom. So I would definitely attribute, you know, the kind of different sound to collaborating with a variety of people. That's part of why I love collaboration is it just kind of forces you to like do things that you would have never thought of by yourself and just try completely different things and put yourself in a different wheelhouse. And then to have the ability to also do something completely yourself and just kind of really look deep inside. And I think I, I approach the two situations differently. And for the ones that I did by myself, it's very just gut driven and just kind of impulse and, oh, let me try this. And, oh, that makes me think of this and just kind of following my intuition that way. Mm -hmm. So I think most of it is just coming out of trust and confidence in whatever it is that's telling me to do that thing in the creative process. What kind of response are you getting from that'd be all right? Yeah. Um, I, I really appreciate that people have been liking that song. Uh, it was a song that I wrote with my collaborator over zoom and from start to finish, it was done virtually. And yeah, it was just, I felt it was important to include on the EP because it's, 
wanted you to know it's all these things that I just wanted to say. And um, Mm -hmm. I'm just glad that people are finding happiness in it or finding comfort in that song. It reminded me a little bit of the Weepies. I don't know if you've ever heard the Weepies before, but they're they're an indie band that they use a lot of layers in their vocals. Cool. And the layering that you did was phenomenal. Thank you. Um, It really stood out to me. I like the the video that you have. I I forget who posted it in one of the uh, interview articles that you have on the web, but you have all the lyrics popping up on the video as it's playing for that song. Mm. And it's a really unique, surprising song because it's different from anything you've done before. And, mm-hmm. um, and I appreciate it uh, just because it's a great song. And I'm, I'm like, this is definitely going to be a hit. So Aww, that's why I asked you, you. <laughs> what the response was. It's a fantastic EP. And I, I hope my listeners will go check it out and, and download it and stream it on Spotify. Thank you so much. The other song that really connected with me was uh, Back in the Summer, mm. which you recorded a video for, I think, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the video. I think I read that your mom shot some of it. Yeah. On the beach. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so that was at kind of the beginning ish of quarantine. So I knew that I wanted a visual for when I put this song out, but couldn't do anything big production. So, um, we decided to just go to the beach, um, and just kind of play the song and just, you know, that was kind of the representation of the feeling of the song to me. It was just sunny and vibrant and free and happy. So I just wanted that to be shown and just not taking anything too seriously, just kind of, you know, yeah. having fun. So how involved is your mom in the business aspects of your songwriting performances and also the videos and you've got social media accounts that have to be managed and cultivated and how involved is your mom and your family for that matter yeah um she's very involved in you know helping me out like i said being independent i do everything myself so i'm so grateful to have her you know helping me and talking things through. And she's always the first person I play a song for. And, you know, she just kind of lets me like, I feel like everyone kind of needs somebody to, you know, allow them to just talk out loud sometimes and just be that kind of person to bounce ideas off of. So she's definitely that for me and just the most supportive. Um, Both of my parents have always been super supportive and just my biggest fans. So I really appreciate it. If they were the ones responsible for turning you on to Bob Dylan, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> Adele, they must be really cool people. So oh, yeah, good, good taste in music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you seem very beyond your years in terms of oh, your you. songwriting, your skills, your aesthetic. It's really quite surprising to listen to your music first. And that's what I did as I listened to your music. And then I looked at your background and I saw, I think you just turned 22. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I'm like, wow. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think you put out that song bartender right about the time that you were legal to go <laughs> yeah. see a bartender. And uh, have you found that your age in any way gets in the way of being taken seriously in the industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Earlier on, 
it was difficult, especially being underage, not being able to perform a lot of places. So I'm super excited. I obviously still haven't been able to do that because of quarantine. But now that I am of age, I'm so excited to get out to all the places that I wasn't allowed in or I would have to just kind of like sneak in, play my set and then jump out um, and not allowed to just kind of stay around and mingle or anything. Mm -hmm. But I would say I never really felt that people looked down on me because I was younger. I think, again, it's kind of like, I like to think that people focus more on the music. And again, as cheesy as it is, it's like age is just a number. So it's however you kind of present yourself. And I think having older siblings, I've always kind of felt that I was older than I actually was. So I think that contributes to it as well. And also just my family always encouraging, like never being like, oh, you're too young to do that. It's always just been like, if you want to do something, go do it. So I guess if I really think about it, Adele was 19 when she put out the album 19. And I don't think anybody knew when they listened to that album that she was 19 and it's just yeah. like, wow, really? I <laughs> and yeah. and you, I think you have that same thing going on, which is you listen to the music and it, you definitely don't attribute this to, oh, this is teenage pop or this is a young person. It's like, this is actually someone who's lived a life. You know, that's the, the vibe I get from it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. This is kind of a random question, but when I look at the timeline, you were born like right around 9-11 or maybe a year before, is that right? Yeah, I was born in 1999, so I was really little when it happened. And yeah, don't really have much memory of it, but... Your awareness of the world, I guess, was right about the time when New York was still reeling from yeah. that experience. Do you think that 9-11, in a way, even though you don't remember it, but living in the aftermath of 9-11 in the city affected you in a formative way? Um, that's interesting. I've never thought about it. I I mean, I definitely knew a number of people whose families had been directly affected by it. And then obviously, you know, higher security and things like that. But I think for me, because that was just all I had known of how kind of the city or the world was working, um, you know, having airport security. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a time before that. So right. I think for me, I'm sure it has shaped how I live in the world, but it's hard for me to say since I have nothing to compare it to. So in terms of what's next for you, are you actively seeking some type of a relationship with a label or are you going to continue going on your own as an indie artist? Yeah, um, I'm really open to anything. I'm just kind of continuing to create music and put it out. And um, if the right partnership is there, then I would be happy to pursue it. But until then, still happy to just keep doing what I'm doing and growing. I'm really thankful for the opportunities I've had so far to kind of help that organic growth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Gratitude is a good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And also not chasing things too hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just letting things come to you organically, I think is a nice, healthy way to um, approach art and life. Yeah. Yeah. 
One last question, and again, kind of random. Where are you with social media? I've looked at your social media accounts, but in terms of your philosophy on social media, the importance of it, the burden of social media, Mm. because I know a lot of artists struggle with the fact that this is the only way to be seen and heard sometimes when you don't have live performances. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not the healthiest place to be, depending on the platform you're using. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's it's for sure a double-edged sword. Um, there's so many positives of, you know, being able to interact with people who you would never have met in person. And I'm so appreciative of people reaching out to me directly and saying like, this song helped me through this experience. Um, I mean, those are the things that really just that's the reason why I make music is to hope that, you know, other people connect to it and um, that it benefits them in a positive way somehow. And then, you know, there's the part of it that it, it can suck up your time a lot and it's hard to, you know, stay engaged on there, but also want to separate from technology sometimes. So I think it's all about a balance, you know, setting limits for yourself, which is all a lot easier said than done. I'm, Mm -hmm. I definitely have to practice that myself, but I think, yeah, there's, it's the way that things are and you can't ignore it. So um, you just kind of have to figure out how to have, you know, as positive of a relationship with it as you can and figure out what works best for you. And I think it's important to, you know, everyone's doing their own thing on there and not to feel like, oh, this is working for that person. So I should be doing that. You just have to kind of stay true to yourself and do you. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy, always trying to chase after this thing or that thing. Mm -hmm. That's never catchable and never achievable because it's not... It's not your path. Exactly. Yeah. So your songwriting process, I feel like I have to cram in all these questions before I say goodbye because (laughs) I don't know when I'm going to talk to you again. No, I'm having so much fun. (laughs) I'm really curious about your songwriting process. How do you start? Do you pick up a guitar, start strumming some chords? Do you write in a journal? I remember hearing an interview with Paul Simon one time. And he said he writes his songs by taking like a racquetball or a tennis ball and he just walks <laughs> and bounces that ball and he starts with the lyrics. Cool. Where do you start and how does that process unfold? Yeah, it's definitely a variety of ways, but I think the most common one is either a melody with a lyric will just kind of jump into my head and then I'll have to go and run and like get it down and then it'll kind of develop from there. That's like if I'm not intending to write a song and it's just kind of forcing itself upon me or um, if I'm sitting down and just playing piano or guitar and just kind of like singing melodies and then kind of gibberish and words will start forming. And then in those cases, like it's really important for me not to judge what's coming out yet because most of the time what ends up coming out is something that I didn't even realize I was thinking about, but was just kind of in my subconscious. And it's not until I've written the song where I'm like, oh, wow, like that was really bothering me or, oh, I didn't know I felt so strongly about that. So it's kind of interesting that way. Yeah. And I I like your comment about not judging it as it comes out. Yeah. Because I think what stops a lot of songwriters, me included, when I try to write songs is when it comes out and it sounds terrible, 
or it doesn't make any sense, you immediately judge it Mm -hmm. and that inhibits the flow of additional ideas. Yeah, absolutely. In other words, you have to allow yourself to be terrible. Yeah. Give yourself permission to do that. Yeah. I was watching a documentary last night on HBO on the Bee Gees. Mm. Great documentary, by the way. I didn't know a lot about that band. But Chris Martin from Coldplay was interviewed about songwriting. And it was an interesting quote. He said something like, we are swimming right now in energy Mm. that songs are there. You just have to listen and know where to grab them and harness them somehow. So it's not necessarily us creating this song, but it is maybe capturing it, capturing that energy somewhere and just kind of listening and knowing where that's coming from. I loved the way he talked about that because it turns every songwriter in a way into like a coal miner or something. Like you're looking for those nuggets and you just have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, I've often felt that I'm just kind of the vessel. I'm not the the one writing the song, but the song is just coming through me. And yeah, I, I think I definitely agree with that. And sometimes it's also kind of like like a, a screw going into place. Like it might get caught sometimes, and then you have to undo it a little bit until it it feel you feel it click, and then you can kind of thread it through. Um, So sometimes that's where I think kind of, you know, writer's block, quote unquote, can come in because you're getting that kind of stuckness. And so you have to kind of rewind a little bit, unscrew it, and then you'll kind of get into the, the right rhythm of it. Yeah. Well, Emily James, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. So happy to be here. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.